0: Welcome to Watch This Space, the podcast about future of work. Every month, we bring you insider perspectives on how digital transformation, emerging tech, and generational change are shaping the future of work. We are two analog guys finding the groove for all of this in today's digital world. I'm John Arnold, and these trends are my focus as an independent tech
1: analyst in my company, Jay Arnold & Associates. I'm Chris Fine. I'm an independent consultant and strategist specializing in workplace technology, IoT, and security. My company is Integrative Technologies. Hi, everybody. Hi, John. Welcome back to another month of the podcast. Uh, what's new? How's everything going?
0: Yes, things are things are going well. Uh, they they seem to be in a steady state, which I will take. Uh, certainly, industry events are are popping up uh, as I have been all year. Um, and I, and I'm going to one or two a month type, you know, kind of on that basis. So I've just got back from one, which we'll talk about in a moment, but, uh, otherwise, Chris, I, I think, you know, things are pretty good in general. I would have to say that, um, you know, when you look at the, uh, overall kind of gist of the economy right now, you know, there, there's still a lot, you know, cause we're in tech, right. There's still a lot of pushback and a lot of uncertainty about where, the big tech players are taking things and you know chat gpt is kind of the tip of the iceberg about where big tech is going and i know we'll talk more about this in future episodes but it's something that to me is becoming a bit of a an overhang in the whole tech space itself that in our world of communications you know it's it's becoming pretty clear that the big tech players are becoming more dominant and it's hard to see how you beat that and uh, for better or worse, right? Because people are so emotionally and, you know, intellectually and financially invested in these companies and the tools that they use. And every conference I go to, every podcast I listen to, whatever, you know, that's kind of an, I'm finding it's, it, it's a pretty strong under theme. And we're, and when we're, when we're in an industry that, Really, the regulations aren't mature enough to keep pace with the change and the implications. And we've talked about this, I know, with AI. But it's just it's hard not to keep that in the back of your mind every time you look at this stuff because it keeps improving. It keeps evolving, but it also is seems to be hardening more and more about everything we do has to be kind of technology driven, it's mobility based. It's got AI injected into it, and it's starting to look more and more like there's almost like no other way of doing things. And I'm I'm going to leave it at that, Chris, because this is what we do for a living. But uh, that that is kind of a, an undercurrent that, uh, to me, is kind of seems to be just like always there. And it's like, do I really want to think about it?
1: I know, I know, we're going to have to. But the question is how. Uh, and what can be done about it? I, you know, and, and exactly what the problem is. Uh, I think there's issues along multiple dimensions. I and there and there's definitely pushback, but it doesn't really seem to be having that much effect on things, at least as yet, uh, because of what you say about lack of enforcement, regulation, and a lot of other things. There also seem to be kind of some some separate threads. Uh, you know, one just being the power and scale, but two being the the data, the whole I uh, you know, if I were if I were to place my thought on one or the other, I think that the area of pushback that's going to assume more force over time and maybe more approachable is is the is the idea of who owns the data and where's the data go. Um, because there is enough precedent, especially outside the US Uh, with GDPR and other regulations to suggest that you can actually make a difference with, you know, haphazard, insecure and random and inappropriate use of data. I just don't know whether there's going to be the will to do it. But that feels like versus the overall size and market power of the companies, I feel like, you know, when ordinary people think about this, maybe the data is more of an issue, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and if this is piquing the listeners interest, I revert to my opening introduction for every podcast that we we talk about emerging technologies, generational change, future of work, those are kind of our common themes, Chris, right, to a lot of the things we talk about, and the other part to this that I get worried about, and, that, and this is actually going to be a good segue to talking about the uh, Avaya conference. That we, as uh, we, as analog guys, Chris, our generation, we know the difference. But when you are more and more around digital natives to watch what they do, how they interact, what tools they're using, I got a, got a pretty good dose of that this week. Um, you realize that they don't know any other world, and it's like a lot of things, you know. As as the longer they the, that they they do that and have less of what we had and then the subsequent generations coming along who have not, none of what we ever had and, and they know only the digital world and these tools it, it won't even be a discussion right it'll just be this is the way it is And when you talk about where's the will to push back well if they won't know what to push back with there won't be any pushback will there
1: well i've actually had this debate multiple times with people and i have come to understand that there is another side of this question which is the digital natives pushback is that because they've always grown up with information with this uh, information is is is, a, is flattering it you know whatever this stream of data is they're inherently suspicious of it you know they claim that when you look at Who's gullible and who take gets taken in? It's actually analog natives like us who uh, got blindsided by this tide of, you know, inaccuracy. and you know i'm I'm using a euphemism there. And uh, they think that they are less vulnerable because they're inherently skeptical of things. And I don't know. I don't know what I, I think both sides have been affected by it. I mean, I see your point, but I'm just saying there's two sides to this this debate. Oh, I'm with you there,
0: and and let's keep both sides going, especially the skeptical side. Yeah, uh, yeah. I you know we, we 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 know what we know what we had and come from was good. A lot of the things, and I think they're worth keeping and worth fighting for. Oh gosh, we can go down a lot of rabbit holes here, but let's let's just get to the let's get to the topic. So for me. The topic is, I just got came back from Avaya Engage, which is their annual kind of showcase event, mostly for customers and partners. So this is where they put on the best face possible, rile up, as you say, the base and tell their story. But we also had dedicated uh, focus for my tribe, the analysts. They also had consultants there. They also had media there. And we all got our separate tracks of, of information. But, you know, Chris, when you think about, uh, and, and I say this in the shadow of, of two weeks ago, I think, MyTel celebrated its 50th anniversary, which is a big deal. But, you know, really, Chris, I mean, how many companies have been around that long in our space? And you have to look at Avaya as being like maybe the last man standing from the true Bell, ATT, right? The, the pre-regulation world, right? Yeah. Wouldn't you Um, agree? I mean, who else is left that's truly like that matters from that era?
1: I'm trying to think. It isn't easy.
0: Like Um, HP, IBM,
1: but they're not really comms companies, right? Well, when you think about telecom, Mm -hmm. when you think about enterprise telecom, I imagine there's a lot of smaller players like in the, Small medium business market, but when you think about who's supplying the the voice and contact center systems for large enterprises, there aren't too many players left. But just to just to backtrack a little, John, because I'm not sure everybody knows who Vi is. I'm thinking
0: the same thing. We we got to maybe dial this back a couple of things pieces here, so we have some context. You know the story better than I do, that's for sure.
1: Well, Avaya is actually the descendant of what once was AT and T and the and Western Electric, which which uh, made enterprise systems, PBXs, as well as all the central office and network systems for the Bell System. After the breakup of uh, that, the AT and T equipment business uh, eventually became Lucent, and ultimately, Lucent split up into multiple companies and the remaining enterprise telecom business became Avaya. And Avaya has been in a number of near-death experiences, but recently uh, got another reboot. And so, John, I guess that's the background to the to the event. Did I miss anything? No, that's, that's, that's what I would
0: want to be talking about as well. And, you know, when I mentioned regu- lack of regulation in the world of big tech, you know uh well guess what it was regulation that um you know gave bell in and t its monopolistic powers and so you know we've talked about this before and folks we would love to explore this more with you on future episodes you know that trade-off between regulation and innovation it's a big one right and so too much regulation gave us a very static telephone industry we needed you know the breakup in 84 is what led to pretty much i think every form of technology innovation we have in the world today. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree with that, Chris?
1: Certainly a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I would also point out, it was, it was actually a regulatory bargain, right? Without again, going into future episodes, we could talk about this, but essentially AT&T convinced all the forces that be in government and industry in the early part of the 20th century, that telephone service was absolutely mission critical to uh, developing the country and bringing the economy forward, and thus was more like electric power or water than it, than it was than it was you know a pri- even though it was a private company, and so the the agreement reached basically gave the Bell System as it became a lot of monopoly protection, but on, in return th- they couldn't stray beyond that monopoly, and they, they were limited in certain ways, and they were treated like a utility, which is why you can have certain uh, service today, like Verizon, where they're still effectively vestigially a phone company. And so some of that regulation is still in place, even. Um, that's why they, you get charged extra fees and things, taxes on on bills. And I suspect, John, in Canada, and other places they're they're sort of the same but these uh, but AT&T which was the parent company had all the equipment business as well as the 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 transmission you know the service business and they were willing the government was willing to let them hold all of that which is se- essentially monopolistic and be their own main supplier which is also monopolistic in in exchange for the argument that the network would advance and the service would be better but all that ended in or with the consent degree, which gave birth to Avaya's predecessor, as well as a zillion other companies, right? Yeah, oh, it's
0: a great story. I and mean, It's the ultimate vertical integration scenario for them. And okay, anyways, here we are today. So yes, Avaya has had some near-death experiences, and so I never, I've never thought you could possibly come out of Chapter Eleven twice, but they have. So for those who don't know the story, right? They, they they've, they've had these two big shifts of financial instability that have translated into liquidity for the most part, but here they are. They the, So the recent emergence from chapter 11 came under the guidance of their CEO, Alan Masaryk, who has, who was kind of like the right man for the job kind of thing. And he's a very good guy to be around. We The analysts, we all love what he's doing and he's bringing the kind of vision and, you know, corporate kind of execution and strategy mindset that you need to uh, come out of this. And the very last thing he told us uh, yesterday, uh, Chris, to kind of close out the the event, or sorry, on Tuesday, for us uh, in our analyst only session was, the last thing he said was, we are decidedly undead. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought there was a good way to say with a sledgehammer, you know the other flip side of that is we're back avaya is back so the, the the short way to describe this is they've done a fantastic job to basically restructure their debts and basically eliminate almost all of it so they come to market now with a pretty clean balance sheet a private company and now a vision to execute you know i don't think they'll ever get a, a fourth chance at this chris so this to me is what i call act three And basically, what they're doing, folks, is their sweet spot is large enterprise where they are, especially in the sectors like the government, education. uh, They are like the, they've been like the dominant uh, vendor, mostly coming out of this pre, this regulatory era, you know, that we just talked about that gave them kind of the, kind of the the whole, the whole, the whole deal. So they've been able to keep that large installed base going for decades. And it's by far the biggest prize in the whole industry. They, they they you know they own the most seats, the most large deployments, et cetera, et cetera. And the challenge everyone faces in technology now is how do you get from prem premise-based technology and deployments of networks and hardware? How do you shift that to a model that's software and cloud-based, which is kind of where it's all going right now? These big deployments, which represent huge revenues. Huge number of seats, huge complexity, huge sunk costs. Right, that these guys can't move to the cloud that fast, if at all. But they're falling behind because they can't use the new technology. So, their mantra to help these companies, you know, modernize, is what they call innovation without disruption. Right. So they they want to the they want to bring them the best of the new technology, which is mostly cloud based. But without the disruption that would come from, you know, a rip and replace where you actually physically have to remove all of that ancient, ancient, that aging infrastructure and make some kind of a big shift to a cloud environment that you don't even know is gonna work. And there's a lot of pushback in these large complex deployments to say, why would I do that? And, and of course, as you mentioned before we recorded, Chris, all the concerns about the data. How do you keep control of it? I mean, when you're IT, you want control over everything as much as you can. And that's a that's a big piece of the story here too, because once it goes to cloud, you lose a lot of that control and that kind of just proximity to everything that you're used to having. So let me stop on that, Chris, and I have one or two points I'll bring back in, but I'm sure okay. you, have, you have some thoughts on that too.
1: Well, I had, you know, John, I did have a thought about the install base, right? So it seems to me that then maybe they have a little bit of what's called the mainframe challenge, or that's what I call it, where you, you know, that equipment, old as it may be, was perfectly designed to do the same thing a bajillion times a day and not make mistakes and have, you know, five nines of uptime, which is exactly the same with mainframe computers, right? Where they've got code running from the 70s, let's say, but it if you have to do the same like m- money transfer operation. A bajillion times a day, or airline reservations, or running power plants and stuff. You you're not going to change that a lot, but you want it never to go to go offline or have a problem once it's once it's debugged. And so, what they did in the mainframe world is they basically started surrounding that. They started making the interfaces to the mainframes more and more open, and they started surrounding it with more and more functionality that could go through those revised interfaces right and that was a transition to where ultimately a lot of this went to cloud platforms but there's still a hardcore of it that's on premises or in data centers that are owned by the enterprise and and operates the same type of mainframe processing is there do you see any parallel there
0: well i i do and some of this does come back to that generational thing i talked you know I've, we've talked about here that When you talk about people who've been running, you know, these systems for a long time, that generation of of IT and operations people totally understand this stuff. They live it. This is their careers. This is what they know. And, you know, Avaya in particular is very well suited to support these guys and keep things going. But they also know that they're up against some constraints that they, they can't adapt the way they see other other lines of business and other industries adapting because they're not able to access the new technologies. So there's you know pros and cons to do it, keeping the status quo and that creates a lot of issues because once it bubbles up to being a, a top line, a, a, a C-level strategy thing about how to make the company more competitive, then you've got pressures to somehow bring in the new to this. And so but you know, the switching costs are really high to just do a wholesale change. That's really not a practical option. And it underscores, Chris, you know, again, something we wanted to talk about earlier is that as much as cloud seems to be the story everywhere 24/7, the reality is that a lot of businesses, especially larger enterprises, uh, remain premises based, at least to some degree. And it's not a question of, well, you just go to the cloud. It's not like a flip a switch kind of thing. It's a much more complicated story than that. And so there is still a very big piece of the market that is that you have to deal with premises-based deployments. And I've seen this from conference to conference to conference. It's not just an Avaya thing. Every other big enterprise-focused event I've been to uh, is the same reality check. You know, it's just that prem is still a big part of the story.
1: I hear that a lot too. uh, You know, CIOs are saying, we want the choice. You know, sometimes we want both, sometimes it's hybrid. You know, sometimes we want on-prem or cloud, and that's it. Um, Yeah. You know, you made a good point, though. I wanted to just uh, refer back to it. It, This is also partly generational, and, and I think that's a very legitimate thing. I think I've seen it happen in multiple instances in my career where you know you get a new person in managing um and the technology advances to a certain point and those two things kind of come together and you start to get somebody who has enough innovation and power to to say you know why 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 do we have these legacy systems really and i saw that happen to because they tend to be expensive the old and and not expandable as you say or not extensible and I've seen that happen with computers PBXs you know storage right and and all kinds of other areas that eventually somebody says well why is it really true is the old system really five nines can we live with four nines we need to do this these 10 things and the old stuff won't do it and so they're willing to make the move and the smoother the vendor makes the move for them able to be accomplished, the more power and success the vendor may have, right?
0: Exactly. So I think Avaya's got it right in terms of their messaging is that it's let the customer choose their journey, right? So they say, we know all of our customers, each and every one is on on and will be on some kind of a journey to the cloud. Basically, they want to come in and say, we can be, we are and should be your trusted partner to get you there any path you take, because we can support it. We can support Prem better than anybody. And we have options and paths to the cloud that can make this, as they say, you can innovate without disruption. You know, simple, simple, uh, you know, value propositions, but I think they're very strong. And... There might be one other piece to this, Chris. You're wondering about where is the sweet spot? How are they going to grow? Where's the, you know, the new stuff going to come from? So, what's, what's a good? Uh, what people should take away knowing this is that Alan has a very candid management style. He's very, he's a straight shooter. He's very realistic about. He knows what he's getting into. He knows what the stakes are, and he made a really good point in one of our analyst kind of feedback sessions. He said, you know. We were late to the cloud. We admit that. Everybody knows that. And this is why people were very quick to dismiss Avaya that they'll never survive because they're too late. And that being too late has done a lot of companies in. Um, But, you know, timing is everything, right, Chris? You can be too early. It can be too late. They acknowledge that 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 landed them in a lot of trouble being too late to the cloud. But if there's a silver lining to this, as big and as important as the cloud story is, the AI story that builds on top of that is even bigger and more important. And coming in now, AI is still very new. Avaya is, they may not be leading the market, but they are close enough that they can stay very competitive as the AI story takes over and generates the new revenues, the new growth. And if they can establish themselves as that trusted partner to take those businesses on their cloud journey, that's not the end. The cloud is just the enabling story that allows people to now use those AI pieces and do the good stuff, hopefully not the bad stuff, right? So it's kind of like they may have missed the cloud wave, but the timing is still favorable enough that they can still catch the AI wave because everyone is trying to figure out, Microsoft included, how do you monetize the cloud? Right, we're still very early with that. We don't really know, so they're they're coming in, and you know they can still be very much in the mix for all of that stuff. And if they are and pull that off, they're going to be fine, right? But if they miss the AI wave too, then there's no future. But I don't think it's too late for that. So I'm oh. I'm optimistic that they can ride that wave and you know get the get those revenues that you need to grow,
1: right? Right. Well, that's very interesting. On the topic of AI there, John. So I'm kind of trying to think this out. So I'm going to ask a probably a little bit of an uninformed question. And I hope you don't mind. So when you think about AI in contact centers, at least the vision in my mind is kind of systems that are attached or not separate, but distinct from the core sort of flow processing stuff that is the, the scalable volume metric level of power that a call center has to have, a big call center. So in traditionally, if you had some sort of add, um, add-on system, you you did have some ability in the traditional call center world to, for example, intercept incoming calls at different points in the call to insert additional steps to change the flow, to do this, to do that. Um, so when and I think this applies more broadly to our world that we talk about. So, when companies like Avaya think about you know this AI competition that's heating up in the world of communications and call centers, can you give a specific example of that? And and why did why is the cloud necessary for that?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of it comes down to automation. The the, the two pieces for automation that AI really helps with is self service right which has been a big downfall ivr has been the you know in the in the legacy world has been the standard which is all you know prompts on your keypad right very kind of static closed ended yes no choice you know binary kind of questions but ai with with the with the uh ability to understand language so you hear this term large language models for example that allows self-service capabilities to handle more open-ended inquiries more can be more conversational and basically address more customer inquiries in an automated fashion without having to deal directly with an agent Um, the other thing the ai helps in terms of automation is some of the workflows that happen behind the scenes so agents and supervisors can kind of work more efficiently again to manage the flow of inquiries and I'll just leave it with a good example that they had, actually. They had a lot of customers talking about what they're doing with Avaya's technology. And one of them was Liberty Mutual. And right off the bat, they, they positioned it right because they said, how do you differentiate a product like insurance, right? It's got the least personality of anything humanly possible, right? It's strictly numbers. There's nothing to it. So how does one insurance company distinguish from another? Well, they've done a good job of branding themselves, uh, a lot of it through their marketing, but also here the way they're doing customer service. So they've made using Avaya's technology, but it could be any AI vendor, right? It's just that they're using the technology to make the self-service experience much better and easier Because uh, there's always a problem, like when you have claims, right? You know, It's such a mechanical, complex process. No one enjoys it. But when you can automate a lot of those pieces, you become easier to deal with. That's what the customer really wants. And I thought that was a really good example. If you can differentiate insurance with this technology, to me, that's that's doing something. Because that's a really difficult, I think anyways, a very difficult thing to do. And in fact, I don't think too many people picked up on this, but the Liberty Mutual person was explaining telling uh, closing out his talk by saying we're so invested you know we're we're finding these tools work so well that if you notice in our ads there is no toll-free number so in other words they, they don't want you calling in on the phone for service you can go just automate it online and you can do almost everything there I I think that's a pretty telling sign that, you know what, if the technology is good enough to handle that degree of service without having to give out a phone number and deal with agents or crappy IVR, I think that's, that's how you win.
1: Got it. So in the context of a company like Avaya, does that mean that they're investing partly in technologies that actually eliminate the voice component or reduce, replace the voice component? No. Is it, is it chat? Is it, you know, so yeah. let's say I go to the website. Then, well, how is my interaction?
0: It'll be chat. It'll be with a bot, right? Okay. Um. Eventually, you will get to a live agent if you need to. But, but the point is, the more the bot, the automated process can handle the inquiry or process a claim or whatever. Um. That's once you set up your system to to do that. You know, now you can handle all the volumes. You can handle it twenty four seven. You don't have to pay for extra staff. There's so many upsides to doing it this way. As long as you can do it in a way that comes across as you know, it's empathetic, it's human-like, it's not robotic. That's the key, right? If it sounds like you know, it's something you can relate to. And again, coming back to the generational shift, today's digital natives. This is the world that they're living in, 24/7. They they can accept that more than our generation, who says, "I just want to talk to somebody." because you don't trust the technology. But if you do trust the technology, it's not that big of a leap, right?
1: Right, and that kind of comes to addressing the large and loyal installed base versus trying to stake out a lot of new territory because you could yeah, argue that if exactly. somebody's starting and from I'm a
0: greenfield- the moment that Avaya has better technology than any other vendor, you know, they're on par. This, is, this story is not about technology, right? It's how they go to market, earn trust, you know, gain the trust back of the customers, of the channels, right? Once you've got that and the technology partners um, and you execute, which is what we're all watching for now, then they've got more than a fighting chance of staying in the game.
1: Well, I guess we'll see, right? It yes. certainly sounds like an interesting beginning.
0: Okay, there's a watch this space outro, huh?
1: Definitely watch this yes. space for sure. So, what else are we talking about? We had a couple of other things, but I think we're running low on time.
0: Yeah, tick, 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 edit this out. I think we got to stop. I do. That, Much as point. it always
1: pains us to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. But I think, All we're, right. I think we're, well, we'll pick up that the, the G, inside internal GPS thing. We can do that next month for sure.
1: Yeah, we we're going to talk about internal precise geolocation, which is an emerging field yeah. that we think has a lot of interesting potentials and ramifications
0: yeah with that chris i think we gotta we gotta put a lid on it for today because otherwise we'll be here all day and well some people might want to do that but another time we all get to get back to so that brings us to time for today and we'd like to thank you for listening as always hoping uh, we uh, brought you some interesting insights for today and that you'll continue with us as we explore the future of work here on watch this space you can access all of our episodes at www.watchthisspace.tech or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a review, a rating, suggestions
1: for future episodes. All good. And with that, I'm John Arnold. And I'm Chris Fine. Thanks, John. Always a pleasure to, uh, to do this with you. Thanks, everybody. And stay tuned next month for another episode of Watch This Space.